my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are words of Jesus, the holy and righteous Son of God made flesh, the author and perfecter of life, the light of the world, the one that all things came into being through, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. This one whom God the Father spoke of as his son, in whom he is well pleased, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think of how many times I've cried out, Why? Maybe you can think that those times that you've cried out, Why? From our dirty lips and out of the overflow of our filthy, wretched hearts, there's a protest, a defiance, even a disdain in the why, but not for Christ. With his remaining breaths that even a child could count, welcome you children. The teacher continues teaching, rising up on Roman spikes through his hands and his feet. He raised the torn flesh of his battered and impaled body. He reveals to his merciless and depraved audience the mind of God. God made flesh hung on a criminal's cross. It was Psalm 22 that Jesus quoted. It was penned by King David, but authored by the Holy Spirit. It serves as proof of the plan that every breath that Jesus took sailed him closer to the cross. Every step that Jesus made drew him nearer to that tree. Every word that Jesus spoke was a prescript for what would be seven phrases said on that dark day. Seven phrases that expose the very heart of God, his purpose for sending his son, They would indicate why Jesus sweat drops of blood at Gethsemane because what he was about to endure was planned and came at the heaviest cost. The Son of God, the Ancient of Days, the one who shared in perfection of love and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father in eternity past would be hoisted up naked and publicly shamed. These seven utterances would all be punctuated with the power and clarity through Psalm 22, though they were said through weakness of body and breath. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 22. While you turn there, let me pray. Lord, We reflect on the death of your son. We reflect on how wrong it was, but how right it was. Because it was issued by you as a decree. And your son walked faithfully through that. So that you could redeem a people of your own and draw us close to you. 
Lord, help us as we, as we sift through your word. Let me get out of the way and, and let your mighty sacrifice, your wonderful love, be proclaimed and be clear and rock our heart as we contemplate what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This moment with Christ pinned with iron to that wooden spike in the ground serves as the, high, uh, as the hinge point between eternity past and eternity future. And in the very center of these seven statements, Jesus declares what is at the heart of his mission. This evening, we'll be paralleling these seven statements with Psalm 22. Look in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This earnest and sincere cry deserves an answer. Who can answer it? It isn't something that man can produce. The disciples fled in bewilderment. Their teacher, their leader, even their God is being executed. Who can answer? Only God can answer. This this psalm is replete with passion and clarity of the heart of Christ. It goes on. Far from my help are the words of my groaning. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. There's the answer. Why was the Son of God forsaken by the Father? Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why was Christ forsaken? Because as darkness has nothing to do with light, holiness can have nothing to do with sin. We don't know the depths of what Christ suffered in this moment. But what we do know is that he will eternally bear the scars on his body for this cosmically supernatural, indescribable mission of atonement. This reconciliation, the righting of wrongs brought into this world by the influence of the devil. The psalm goes on. You who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted They trusted and you rescued them. To you they cried out and they fled to safety. In you they trusted and they were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a person, a disgrace of mankind and despised by the people. All who see me deride me. They sneer, they shake their heads saying, turn him over to the Lord, let him save him. Let him rescue him because he's delighted in him. As part of God's redemptive plan, God saw it fit to add humanity to his son. In this condition, God would prepare a perfect sacrifice. Christ would take on the form of man and even be beneath man as a servant. He would be given a human life, a life that he would operate in perfection, obeying his father exactly. And he would use that precious and perfect life to atone for the sin of man. Atonement was the aim of Christ's mission. 
He went to the cross because he delighted in God's plan. He went for the joy set before him, atonement. Christ's atoning work is true and real and effective. The next statement I'd like you to consider is one of love. All the disciples ran except for John, who sat with Mary, Jesus' mother. Jesus, beholding Mary and John, said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. The psalmist writes in verse 9 and 10, Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts I was cast upon you from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Christ's atoning work was embodied in love. He did not neglect anyone. His work was perfect, and while atoning for the sins of the world, he cared for his mother. He honored his mother. Jesus' love knows no boundaries. It's perfect and complete, attending to every detail. No matter the anguish, his love could not be derailed. No matter the anguish, Christ's atoning work is loving. Jesus was in anguish, having been flogged, pummeled in the face with a bag over his head, a crown of thorns shoved upon his brow, and spikes were driven into his body. His blood was being poured out, and he said, I'm thirsty. This atonement in love was done through suffering. The psalm presses on in verses 11 to 21 to elaborate on this suffering. In it, we'll see isolation, persecution, mental fatigue, physical fatigue, organ failure, exhaustion, dehydration, humiliation, unjust torment, internal disintegration, insult and dishonor. These are just to name a few things of the indescribable sufferings that Jesus endured. It reads, verse 11, do not be far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no one to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open their mouths wide at me as ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a piece of pottery, and my tongue clings to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among me and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, do not be far away. You who are my help, hurry to my assistance. Save my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. Those surrounded by dogs who were the Gentiles and the Roman government who was the lion who hung him on that horn, the altar, he did not revile. 
Though asking for this cup to pass from him, he went willingly in obedience as a lamb to the slaughter to be the propitiation for our sins. He knew what the scriptures required of him before the cross. He knew the scriptures. It's all there. But he went to the cross, despising that shame. Christ's atoning and loving work was displayed at the cost of his suffering. Christ makes another claim from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This declaration is an invitation and a call for repentance. The psalm of the son's prayer continues in verse 22 as a clearer expression of the call. I read, I will, pro- I, will proclaim to your na- I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor scorned the suffering of the afflicted, nor has he hid his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of the offense to the righteous, holy, and angry God. Christ endured this suffering so that they would not. Christ endured this suffering so I would not. And Christ endured this suffering so that you would not. My dear friend, the gruesome graphic picture of Christ hung on that post, suffering in agony, is a representation of what hell has to offer to the one who is cursed. Sin curses every man. You and I were conceived in sin. We were not only born from a cesspool of iniquity, but we have consciously violated the perfection of God's regal mandate. We are his creation, and we have gone our own way. We have defied the one who laid the foundations of the earth and determined its size. The one who gave boundaries to the oceans. The one who commands the morning and made the dawn know its place. The one who has trod the ocean floors. Who knows the source of light and darkness. The one who guides the path of thunderbolts. The one who causes seed of grass to sprout. The one who makes monster and man. The one who brings out constellations in their season. We have defied the creator of the universe and the one who maintains the large of it and the small of it. That's cosmic treason. This creator is God. And as a person of the Godhead, Jesus gave up everything to be forsaken by God. His father, forsaken of God his father, so that you and I might receive the riches of heaven. He proclaimed his father's name to you, to me, that we might be brothers and be able to call his father our father. Christ may have been crucified 2,000 years ago, but today, by his mercies, you 
are in the midst of the assembly. And his proclamation of the Father's love is to you. This is for you. This proclamation is a call for you to repent and believe. Stand in awe of him. Cry to him for help. He hears. Through Christ's atoning and loving suffrage, the doors of forgiveness are flung wide open. And to prove that he hears, he purposed for another man to accompany him on that dark day. A thief. Someone who deserved that treacherous punishment of crucifixion. The thief asked, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus expresses the result of his atonement and loving suffrage, forgiveness, and salvation. In that moment, by all perception, Jesus was powerless. He was unarmed. He had no company, no followers. He was fixed with his hands and feet nailed to a log. He could hardly see, hardly breathe, hardly speak, but yet he accomplishes the impossible. He brings a dead man to life, spiritual dead, alive now in Christ. He transforms a criminal, forget criminal of the state. This thief on the cross is a son of disobedience, a vile hater of God. Though Jesus has given up everything, what he possesses is intangible, and that is authority. He answers the thief on the cross with the declaration, truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise today. And the psalm continues in 25, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. May your heart live forever. Oh, how sweet is salvation. This thief was at the threshold. He was hanging 10 over the board of the universe. He was peering headlong into the abyss of hell's fiery furnace. And God rescued him. By no deed of his own, God rescued him. Dear friend, be like the thief. Seek him, praise him, and live forever. Receive through Christ's atoning and loving suffrage, forgiveness and salvation. And rest assured as you consider his statement on the cross of security. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Having identified with sin, no matter how far from his heavenly father Jesus felt, he knew he was secure. He was secure in the redemptive plan. God's promises are true and they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And Jesus was faithful for us. He remained pure for us. He was full of truth and full of grace for us. Having a pure conscience that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, he was secure in the hands of God.
The psalmist continues in 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. A posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. Security. For all eternity future, the heavens will be buzzing about the perfect execution of the plan of God. Of Christ's perfect obedience. There will be feasts and singing among the, an eternal family. You need to be part of that family. The Lord Jesus is king. His obedience to suffer the plan of loving atonement, offering forgiveness that leads to salvation, satisfied the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve. In this, we are secure as equally as Jesus was secure in the hands of his father. His promises are the same. They're true. We are secure because of what he has done, not partially, wholly. Through Christ's atoning and loving suffrage, forgiveness and salvation are secured. In the last of the seven statements, Christ declares, it is finished. It is finished. And Psalm, the psalm concludes in verse 31. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. He has performed it. It is finished. My friend, we are gathered here today on account of Christ's victory. The message from the cross is the same message of Psalm 22 and is consistent throughout the whole Bible. Through Christ's atoning and loving suffrage, forgiveness and salvation, secured in his victory. Let me repeat that. Through Christ's atoning and loving suffrage, forgiveness and salvation are secured in his victory. There's a song that we'll sing today. That asks the question, were you there? And yes, this was 2,000 years ago. But that moment was a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And it is a perfected plan, a promise. The effectiveness of Christ's atoning and loving suffrage is active and working even now. Forgiveness, salvation, security, and victory can all be yours through his work. The Heavenly Father is ready to receive you in his hands today. Follow Christ's lead and strip yourself of all those things that, cling to, that you cling to in this world. Fix your eyes on what is eternal, that which is pleasing to God. If this is something that you want, I reinforce that by saying this is something that you need I'm, I'm going to pray for us right now. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you want to receive this indescribable gift from the cross, just slip your hand up for a moment and then put it down. I'll see it and we'll, we can connect later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's no accidents. You are sovereign meaning that you have your hand on every molecule on this planet. 
not just the molecules, the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Lord, you are in command of those. You have brought us together, Lord, this morning or this evening, and we have come together in honor of your son's death. What you planned from before the foundations of the world, you saw fit to execute to its final end. The suffering of Christ brings us a new relationship that we can engage with you as our father and call him brother. And this is, this, what, what is man that you are mindful of him? Please, Lord, bring, bring us to a, an awareness, a constant understanding of the, the price that we have been bought with. You value us and treasure us to no end, and you prove that on the cross. Please bless us, Lord, as we move through our service and move into communion. Please give us a heart that's, that's pure and, and purified. Help us to shake loose all those things that hinder. Give us strength. Unite us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ushers, would you please come up?